You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we'll delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation. The financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. Hello, greetings to our uh, participants from around the world. I understand we have about 45 countries and 260 registrants. I am Baba Kapasade, CEO of Toronto Center. I'm very glad to be back with you today for another episode of Toronto Center's virtual webinar series on supervising the new normal. Since inception in 1998, we have trained more than 13,000 supervisors from around the world in all sectors of financial services. Managing through the pandemic and adjusting to the new normal has not been easy for the supervisory community. The increase in financial sector risks of COVID-19 has coincided with tremendous pressures on supervisors arising from lockdowns, travel restrictions, the need to maintain social distancing and suspending on-site visits. Especially in developing countries, supervisors have had to meet the challenges of underdeveloped digital financial services and infrastructure, not least given the disproportionate impact on the poor, particularly women who are financially excluded. We don't know when or if we can ever go back to the old normal. As our contribution in late September, Toronto Centre published the most comprehensive practical and cross-sectoral guide to, to the supervision of the new normal in the COVID-19 world, as you can see here with input from a wide range of supervisory authorities and standard setters. I encourage you to read it. Thanks, Diana. There's so much more to this story of supervision under duress and adjusting to the new normal, and I have only barely scratched the surface, but our diverse panel is up to the task. Our distinguished panelists are Mr. Jamil Ahmed, Deputy Governor, State Bank of Pakistan, Mr. Kevin, uh, uh, Cohen Logan, Deputy Chairman, Financial Markets Commission of Chile, and Mr. Clive Brio, Chair, Banking Advisory Board, Toronto Centre. I call them Mr., but we're going to be on first name basis. You have already seen their bios. I should also mention that Clive is one of the key authors and editors of the document I mentioned above. And in fact, after the session is over, he will be moderating uh, a few sessions uh, going forward to dive deeper into these issues. <clears throat> Toronto Centre is also privileged to have provided capacity building programs to both Chilean supervisory institutions and the State, of pa uh, State Bank of Pakistan over the years. So it's very good to have our, our panelists here with us. Welcome, gentlemen. It is good to have you with us today. I also would like to thank our key sponsors, Global Affairs Canada, Swedish CEDA, IMF, Jersey Overseas Aid, the USAID, and Comic Relief. Let me also thank uh, Demet Janakcha and Diana Bird, who have worked so hard to bring you this quality webinar from behind the scenes. We aim to keep this uh, a dynamic session, so I would ask our audience to please use the Q&A tab to submit your questions as soon as you can. 
So without further ado, I'm going to go up to our first speaker, Jamil. All supervisory authorities face challenging constraints. It's becoming increasingly clear that the world is not going simply to return to the old normal. Based on your own insights and conversations with colleagues outside of Pakistan, what will be the what would what does the new normal look like? What will it look like if you look at the macro issue? Go ahead, please. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Babak. Uh, 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 let me first of all say that uh, COVID-19 shock has uh, fundamentally changed the uh, functioning of the financial systems across the globe. And uh, we all know that mobility restrictions and social distances, uh, distancing have become a new norm. These developments are setting a new normal in which technology will play a major role. Uh, and uh, we also uh, need to say that uh, these, uh, this new normal is here to stay for uh, quite some time. Uh, we are hoping for uh, the vaccine to uh, uh, to come in, uh, and obviously uh, some of the uh, post-COVID uh, environment will uh, will continue uh, the way we are operating right now. So uh, what we are expecting is that uh, some of the trends uh, under this new normal uh, uh, will continue, and uh, I will just mention few of them. Uh, first of all, uh, we are expecting that macroeconomic environment is expected to remain fragile for uh, some uh, time. And uh, uh, this will also include some stress on uh, trade uh, trade and uh, cross-border uh, uh, funds uh, transfers. For us, for instance, remittances are uh, uh, our major source of uh, external financing. And uh, since number of Pakistanis are living abroad, so uh, this uh, has affected our uh, uh, migrant workers uh, who are working, uh, going for uh, working abroad. And we expect that as a result of low uh, migrant workers, the, uh, the remittances will uh, be affected uh, going forward. Uh, secondly, I think customers' uh, choices for new uh, delivery channels for financial products and uh, services will become more popular. And uh, we are expecting alternate delivery channels uh, to uh, take a significant space in the uh, financial services delivery, which was uh, not the case for uh, some developing countries, uh, as we have um, very uh, low uh, penetration as far as the alternate delivery channels were concerned. But we see we have seen significant uh, developments in this area. Uh, Thirdly, uh, uh, I think uh, digital financing will uh, gain more traction and acceptance uh, going forward. And also we are expecting increased use of digital uh, financial services uh, uh, will raise the risks for, uh, for the uh, supervisors also uh, because of the, uh, and for the financial institutions also, because uh, when the technology uh, use will be increased then the associated risks will also increase. And already we are facing cybersecurity uh, incidents uh, increasing uh, uh, as far as our uh, financial institutions are concerned. Then we are also um, expecting that new ways of conducting uh, and managing the operations of uh, uh, financial institutions uh, will emerge. Uh, we have already seen that technology-based uh, uh, solutions and uh, uh, virtual meetings are uh, uh, getting popular. And similarly, uh, you know, work from home is uh, also uh, becoming a norm. And uh, both these uh, trends uh, will uh, affect the, the, uh, the business environment and operating environment of not only the financial institutions, but also uh, the central bank and supervisors. Uh, 
so uh, we have to uh, prepare for this new uh, norm in, uh, in conducting of the business. Then uh, from policy environment perspective, uh, governments as well as the central banks have provided um, uh, various supports and uh, incentives uh, to the financial institutions as well as to the uh, to the customers of the financial institutions. And uh, we expect that this trend will continue for some time because the businesses uh, uh, firms will take some time to uh, to regain their uh, uh, pre-covered uh, uh, status whereby uh, I mean, if they, some of them have suffered losses during this process, though they, they will take time to uh, to uh, strengthen their financial conditions and to cope with the new risks. And in the process, they will expect uh, from central banks uh, as well as from the government some support. Uh, we have already um, taken a number of measures in this regard, which I uh, will share later on. But I think uh, uh, what we are expecting is that this for some time will continue to be a norm and uh, we will have to uh, continue to provide support uh, on, on that, that front also. So I think, uh, I hope uh, I have answered your question. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, thank you very much. That was very well. And I guess uh, many insights are generated from what you talked about. Well, what struck me very, uh, I mean, in, in a special way is the fact that it's not just contained in Pakistan and you have people outside of Pakistan. There's really a global dimension to this challenge that we're all facing and you articulated that really well and also the macro picture. Kevin, uh, I'd like to turn over to you now and you're closer to home. The Americas, Latin America has had a devastating experience with COVID-19, so our best wishes to you and frankly to everyone around the world. Uh, Chile, I think, has done uh, relatively better, but some of your neighbors have uh, really suffered a big consequences. Can you give us also a bit of a macro perspective? I mean, the question I have for you focuses on supervision, but as you try to approach that, if you can give us that macro overlay, that would be great. So how, how have you prioritized your supervisory activities within the Chilean financial sector in response to the heightened risks and reduced supervisory capacity? And which of those actions do you think will remain in the long term after the pandemic? And how has uh, stress testing helped you here? So thank you. Thank you very much, Babak, and, and thanks to Toronto Centre for the invitation to, to discuss these issues with you this morning or this afternoon. Um, I'll try to be brief, although the questions that you pose, uh, probably each of them are, are, are would merit a, a complete seminar. So, so as you mentioned, uh, Chile and, and Latin America has been particularly hard hit by, by COVID. Um, this has been, uh, in Chile in particular, a combination of, of two factors. Obviously, we are a small open economy, both in the trade side and from the financial side, uh, with large growth financial flows. So, so both of these uh, from external uh, dimension have hit Chile hard, in particular financially in March, and in terms of trade flows uh, in, in, the, in the following months. And then on top of that, we've experienced the domestic supply shocks coming from from the lockdown, which, which as you mentioned in Latin America has been uh, one of the more, more severe uh, and in Chile, particular, was particularly long. So, so what we see moving forward is is really a, a the base scenario is 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 is, is of improvement, but but very much with with increased volatility. We see that in terms of financial markets, in terms of news on on the real economy, uh, what what we expect moving forward is 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 a very a very turbulent period uh, for the next couple of, of years. Uh, in addition, for Chile, we are we are we are in also in a in a relatively 
more complex political situation than we have been in prior years. So that's certainly going to add to some of the volatility. Um, in this context, your question as, as how we are reprioritizing supervision. Uh, First of all, I, I think I think one of the things that has been most obvious is is increased importance of of um, the financial system working on on on, on from a remote perspective, uh, given given restrictions on mobility, uh, and this is this has meant two two focuses of supervision. One is is internal business continuity and how we make sure, as an, in our case, an integrated supervisor that. Uh, key infrastructure is working, uh, the core business of banks, insurance supervisions uh, is, is continuous. And then additionally to that, the, that the diverse financial providers have been able to uh, complement uh, attention in, through, through offices with, with an increased presence on, on the internet through, through access to diverse financial service remotely. So I think it's been a, a challenge to make sure that things continue to work and at the same time, uh, financial industry offers, offers their consumers and their users uh, continued service uh, provision. So in that sense, and as, as Jimmy mentioned, all of this means that, that increased concern of operational risk and, and cybersecurity and something that obviously was there but has moved uh, forward uh, very significantly. Um, more generally in supervision, I think two, two lessons or, or, or two conclusions. One is by nature, this, this shock has, has forced us to be forward looking because really what is happening now is a, is a poor indication of, of, of what may happen in the near future. We're not in a usual business cycle scenario, but the nature of the shock also makes it incredibly challenging to be forward-looking in, 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 because you're based on historical data. So, so I think it's, it heightens the need of forward-looking, but makes it challenging. And the second is, is we've also uh, put a lot of resources in having an integral view of, of what is happening in the financial financial sector. Um, we merged um, as an institution last year. So we've been able to take advantage of having insurance securities and, and banking under one roof. And that has actually proven important because, because many of the shocks uh, have ramified through the financial sector in ways we, we didn't expect. In terms of, of forward looking, um, I think also coordination in, in the current scenario with the central bank, uh, which is separate in Chile, uh, and has a, a large installed capacity in terms of, of, of generating macro scenarios, risk scenarios has been key. And also in terms of coordination with the finance ministry, because a lot of uh, legislation and support programs have been rolled out, uh, which directly or indirectly affect the financial sector. So, so in this forward looking component, uh, coordination I think is, is, is one. Stress testing is the other. Um, I think it's, if you wanna put it in a very simple way, what we it's a way of putting in numbers what are our qualitative concerns and again here Babak, i think the chat the, the 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 benefits are high but the challenges are also high um what we've done is is introduced a lot of ad hoc stress testing uh with probably simpler models but more intuition both in insurance securities and banking uh so instead of relying on more sophisticated macro models uh ad hoc uh, shocks to credit risk uh, to liquidity uh, based on conversations with the central bank. I think that's that's been particularly useful as to then where to focus our, as you mentioned, relatively or relatively scarcer uh, supervision. A third point maybe, so forward-looking um, integrated data has been key. Uh, we've made a lot of efforts to 
streamline data that um, we, we, found, we felt weren't key in the current conjecture uh, and uh, ramp up requests for data from, from our supervisor entity in those issues that we were thinking were, were priorities. So in that sense, uh, more granular data on loan renegotiations, more granular data on, on, on insurance company portfolios, less data on self-evaluations and other things which are part of a longer term supervisory process. Uh, which of these things are here to stay? I think the forward-looking stress testing is something that was here before, has been reinforced, and I think it proves that good supervision is forward-looking supervision. Data is clearly key. Uh, I think we've learned a lot as to how to work remotely and what data to request, but obviously that's an ongoing process. And I'll try to stop here because um, I know there's a lot of interest in adding additional questions. So Kevin, first of all, big hands to you. I think I've, uh, it's very rare that someone can put such incredibly difficult and big topics together in such a concise fashion, but I think you definitely succeeded. Uh, the forward-looking uh, perspective is very much appreciated. You talked about integrated view and cross-sectoral view, and everything that you're talking about is also something we're seeing ourselves that uh, our, there's a lot of demand for our training programs on the cross-sectoral aspects and holistic view. And sounds like what you have already obtained and, and learned is going to stay with you regardless of the pandemic, because these are just essential skills. Clive, you have a um, tough shoes to, to fill with our two speakers going first, but I want to come to you as the main um, editor, you interviewed many supervisors to gather information on the current and future challenges in the COVID-19 world as you were preparing the, uh, the guide. Can you share some of your top observations with us on what supervisors said about the new normal, especially as you listen to our first two speakers? Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Bavak. Uh, the supervisory authorities we spoke to in preparing the publication and subsequent discussions with supervisors at various Toronto Centre programmes, uh, highlighted four main issues here that I think it would be useful to, to cover. Some have already been mentioned by Jamil and Kevin, but perhaps they bear repetition, not least to provide a backdrop to considering the implications of them for the supervision of financial institutions. Uh, first, um, it's becoming increasingly clear, uh, and most supervisory authorities stressed this, that the world is not going simply to return to the old normal, uh, nor indeed to reach any settled position in the near future, even with a prospect of mass vaccinations next year. Uh, generally speaking, supervisors thought that COVID-19 will have a prolonged and fundamental impact on financial institutions and on how they are supervised. Uh, so, as already mentioned, financial institutions have faced heightened levels of many different types of risk, not least from a sharp and potentially prolonged decline in global real GDP uh, and fluctuations in asset and commodity prices. So many financial institutions need to revisit and adjust their strategies and business models as a result to cope with those pressures. And most supervisors expected some financial institutions to fail as a result of COVID-19, uh, in particular once the multiple types of government support are withdrawn. And perhaps just also mentioning there a concern that the increased role of governments and central banks in the economy, be it through higher fiscal deficits, money printing, bailouts, wide ranging 
capital market purchases uh, may have an impact in terms of distorting markets, potentially holding back economic growth, uh, leading to a deterioration in the credit worthiness of some sovereign borrowers and generate greater uncertainty, particularly as that support is withdrawn. A second, uh, the COVID-19 outbreak has, as others have already commented, accelerated the general trend towards the increased use of technology and digitization. And within the financial sector, supervisors highlighted in particular the increased use of digital access through mobile phones or whatever to financial products and services, the use by governments of digital channels for making payments to households, uh, particularly support payments in the context of COVID-19, the declining use of cash and an increase in the use of digital retail payment systems and the increasing use of digital methods of identification and for the electronic submission of documents as a substitute for the previous physical know your customer type checks. Those shifts will continue uh, and will not be reversed. Uh, the business models of financial institutions are becoming increasingly digital based as they accelerate the adoption of technology. Uh, and there will also be a further shift away from cash to digital retail payment systems. Um, third, uh, COVID-19 is likely to have a permanent impact on higher rates of working from home, the use of substitutes and workarounds for on-site supervision and reduced overseas travel, including, for example, for supervisory colleges. And fourth and finally, uh, supervisors drew attention to shifts in financial flows, uh, capital flows, including foreign direct investment and, remit and remittances have fallen sharply in many parts of the world, as Jamil has already mentioned, and their volume and pattern are likely to have changed permanently. Uh, financial markets may become even more fragmented, uh, and some supervisors mentioned uh, that there could also be renewed outbreaks of COVID-19 or variations upon it, uh, causing further inequality, social divisions, and geopolitical tensions. Uh, so let me let me end on that happy note um, and pass it back to you, Babak. Thanks. Thank you, Clive. Uh, uh, you touched on some very key points here, and in fact, uh, when I step back, I look at a lot of different things. I think. If one can look forward a few years down the line, I'm wondering if people will look at COVID-19 as the disruptor or as the accelerator of all the changes that were happening. Just to give you one statistics from The Economist magazine uh, of October 10th issue of this year, the share of the global top 500 banks since the financial crisis in 2008, basically back then, they had about 96% of the uh, share of the financial services around the world. That dropped to about 81% at the beginning of this year. And since COVID has come, it's got, dropped down to 76%. And all these other digital players that you talked about are the ones who are coming in. So of course, it's a chipping the armor. It's not a major drop, but it's a pretty dramatic, still very dramatic stat. So that kind of, uh, you know, uh, 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 that kind of uh, signifies what you're talking about. Let me move back to Jamil, please. Jamil, I want to bring the focus back to supervision and state bank. Uh, you guys are doing a great job there. And uh, I know that because our teams are there and, and helping with you, working with you, and uh, we know how hard your professional team works. So what are the implications of the new normal on supervision 
at the State Bank of uh, Pakistan, please. Sorry, you're muted. Jamil, you're muted, yeah. You need to, yeah, go ahead. Thank you, yeah. yeah. So uh, I think first of all, as we all know that COVID-19 pandemic has uh, posed a number of novel uh, risks and accentuated also the traditional ones, uh, which are uh, influencing the underlying risk drivers. This new normal would require the State Bank of Pakistan also to um, uh, strengthen its supervisory process and uh, take uh, other measures so that we can effectively supervise the institutions. So in this regard, we have um, taken a number of initiatives, uh, uh, which I can uh, list down a few of them. Um, first of all, we have taken some uh, macro prudential supervisory uh, measures. And under that, uh, we have recently um, established a National Financial Stability Council, uh, which, uh, which, is, which includes the central bank as supervisor of banks and other institutions, as also the Securities and Exchange Commission of Pakistan and the Ministry of Finance. So this will provide a very effective uh, coordination uh, from uh, financial stability uh, review uh, perspective so that we can review the underlying issues in financial stability and take decisions at the highest level. Uh, the uh, the representation of this uh, committee is uh, in, uh, including the finance minister and the chairman of securities exchange commission and governor state bank of pakistan secondly uh, on micro uh, uh, prudential level we have uh, uh, also um, uh, strengthened our supervisory process and as you mentioned we have uh, engaged uh, uh, toronto center also to help us in uh, in this way in in, the, in this process and for that, uh, first of all, we are moving uh, from the previous CAMELS um, uh, approach to uh, the risk-based supervision approach. And uh, uh, as you know, this is more focused on, um, uh, on the, the off-site surveillance and risk uh, assessment of the institutions. So it will require a significant um, change in the, in the way we are currently supervising the institutions. And related development is that we have also reviewed our organizational structure at the central bank so that we can um, bring the required changes uh, to, uh, to introduce the risk-based supervision. And also we are trying uh, to further strengthen our um, uh, skill set by uh, bringing some new people also uh, who are well-trained in, in, in the supervisory skills. So that's uh, um, from uh, from the uh, the way we are supervising and strengthening of financial stability uh, process and structure. In addition, we have uh, also focused on um, fintech uh, developments, and uh, that's uh, I think an area where we have recently done a lot of work. And thanks to COVID-19, uh, this uh, this process has been expedited. So I will mention that there are at least four uh, major projects which we are undertaking currently, and will briefly just uh, mention uh, those projects. Uh, first of all, we have recently introduced a new uh, kind of uh, digital account. Uh, we called it Roshan Digital Account uh, for the expats, Pakistanis, which are uh, working in various countries. Uh, it was not previously allowed to them to uh, open accounts remotely. So what we have done is now we have introduced uh, through uh, partner banks a new uh, account uh, 
uh, whereby uh, anybody, any uh, person, uh, Pakistani uh, working, non-resident working in any country, uh, they can open this special account and then they can transfer funds uh, through uh, that account. Uh, they need not have to visit any branch. It's a remote account. And uh, through that, they can uh, make investment in stock exchange, in bonds, in real estate, and they can also uh, maintain their families uh, through this account. So that's one uh, development. Uh, secondly, we are in the process of uh, implementing a micro payment gateway. And that's a very ambitious project for us. We are doing it um, uh, with the support from Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And uh, that's also um, about to be completed uh, now. So uh, we are expecting that early next year we will make it uh, operational. So this is a retail payment system which will bring efficiency and uh, uh, also uh, the, the, the cost um, reduction uh, for the uh, public to uh, transfer funds from uh, one place to other place uh, and will also uh, help in, um, in fi financial uh, uh, inclusion also for, for, for us. Uh, thirdly, we have um, also implemented another uh, project which we call knowledge management uh, project and uh, it has various components. What one of the significant component is that uh, under this uh, project all our approval process internally has been digitized which means that we are not um, uh, working on any paper uh, based environment uh, for our internal approvals uh, and as a part of that project also uh, it's a somewhat separate but related project whereby we have required financial institutions uh, and other stakeholders who have to send various uh, requests to us uh, for seeking uh, seeking uh, approvals so uh, they can now submit all those requests digitally so they need not have to send any paper um, uh, papers and documents uh, with the, uh, their requests so that's another i think um, major achievement whereby uh, the uh, the convenience has been provided to uh, the customers of banks as well as to banks themselves and other financial institutions so they can approach us digitally and we process their request internally within State Bank digitally and then grant approvals through this digital process. I think these developments has facilitated the customers significantly. And on the payment side also, we are also working a number of other initiatives also. Uh, and in order to promote the digital channels and alternate delivery channels, we have um, uh, made took a, took a decision also whereby we required uh, banks and other institutions which we regulate that they will not be charging any fee, uh, at least during the pandem pandemic period, that um, they will offer all the digital services free of cost so that the customers can be incentivized to use the digital channels. And I think this has helped a lot in our case. And just to give you an idea that before COVID, there were on average 180,000 transactions daily taking place within our financial institutions. But as a result of this fee waiver, as well as some other initiatives which we have taken, now the daily average has increased to 800,000. So just imagine within this seven, eight, 10 months, of COVID, 
it's more than four times increase in the uh, digital transactions which are taking place in the country okay. uh, so i think that had, that will also help us in achieving our broader objective of financial inclu inclusion because many new customers have registered with the financial institutions and they have started availing the financial services so that's i think uh, is a good development and related initiative which we have actually Jamil, if i can uh, interrupt you for a second just because there's so many questions coming in and you have a lot to offer so let's see maybe we can address some of the points you want to raise in response to some of the questions so we can uh, move the panel but thank you so much and i apologize for no, no. this is the tyranny of trying to do so much in one hour but everybody's very busy these days and there's so many different things to look at and observe. So thank you so much for that. Kevin, uh, let me move to you. In the context of new normal, how has bank lending transformed in Chile since the outbreak of the pandemic? What are the main challenges you face in monitoring of risks and vulnerabilities related to bank lending and financial stability in the aftermath of COVID-19? And before you answer, I'd like to ask, uh, Diana, could you please send the link uh, about that guide that I mentioned to the participants? I know we have sent it out before, but that's so relevant to this conversation. It's good for people to have that link and, and distribute it. Kevin, please go ahead. So, so let me just very briefly um, give some background um, in terms of, 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 of loan uh, behavior and, and, and public support policies. And I'll start with the later. Uh, Main, from Chilean authorities have have put forward, I'd say three three main uh, support mechanisms for lending uh, under the under the initial and I think confirmed uh, view that that at least a significant part of the shock was transitory and hence you want to be able to sort of lend through it. Um, that has been a rollout or a relatively large for a Chilean perspective rollout of state guarantees for for firms, uh, in particular SMEs. Uh, significant expansion of, of central bank fac uh, facilities to, to banks, including long-term lending uh, with priority on, on access to this lending to those banks which are prioritizing SME lending. Uh, and from our perspective, uh, as a regulator, probably the biggest change is that we, we are currently in the process of implementing Basel, Basel III. So we have uh, delayed uh, the rollout of the capital requirements uh, for a year at least uh, to be able to not generate a, a, a pro-cyclical response of credit. So that's the context. Um, in this context, we've, we've seen uh, mortgage loans being relatively stable and that has been a feature of, of the Chilean uh, financial sector for the last three external shocks. Um, Consumer loans have been collapsing at a rate we haven't seen ever. Uh, we're talking about two-digit collapses in consumer lending, very much spurred by uh, a cautionary approach by banks uh, in, the, in the face of a very significant increase in unemployment. Uh, and also we see uh, by falling demand uh, by, by households, which are very much aware of the need to be liquid uh, in the short run and not take on additional debt. Um, so, and then in, in commercial loans, uh, we have seen, and this has been in contrast with previous external shocks, like the ones we experienced in 98 and 2008, uh, that commercial lending has actually expanded through this cycle. Uh, a large share of that has been supported by, by state guarantees, but part of it hasn't been supported by state guarantees. So that's, that's where lending is. Moving forward, I think our main concerns uh, from a, an aggregate risk perspective 
is a series of financial institutions have um, of offered uh, payment deferrals. And some of these payment deferrals are starting to, to end um, currently. And obviously very much, uh, and that's back to our stress testing, what we expect uh, non-performing loans to behave um, when these payment holidays meet a, a labor market, which is still relatively soft. Um, second, uh, another source of concern is that especially large firms uh, drew on multiple funding sources at the beginning of the shock. So we saw in uh, May, June, which is where when, when lockdowns hit the Chile hardest, uh, significant drawdown of lines by large firms with banks, international banks, some issuance, including in the local bond market. So we have firms that responded by increasing debt, but obviously uh, a, a, key, a, current, uh, a clear risk is, is if, if this debt um, starts, even when the debt starts maturing uh, and uh, the speed of recovery is slower than expected. Uh, and thirdly, I think, and this is something which is structural, um, Although it's not a significant exposure in, in, in most of our financial institutions, non-commercial real estate market is, is clearly a challenge we're looking forward uh, because here we combine the short run effects of falling demand, uh, falling supply with uh, a point that Babak mentioned before. I mean, clearly what we're gonna see in the coming years is, is much more teleworking in general and that sense commercial real estate, particular offices uh, will be a, a sector under significant stress. Um, in this, some 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 issues in, in terms of supervisory uh, approaches to these risks. Um, so probably contrary to what maybe one of it would, would have expected, supervising credit and 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 liquidity risks uh, remotely is actually um, easier. And this is maybe ironic, me, me, easier than supervising operational and cyber risks remotely. Uh, because, because you can rely on data, you can rely on, on, on granular data in terms of exposure, understanding risk, understanding liquidity. Uh, but when, you, when our teams go in and try to supervise operational risk and cyber risk, uh, it actually is, 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 a lot of that is done uh, based on actually going into the systems, sitting at the, at, at, at the terminals, showing that the systems do what what that, that what, what what they say they can that they can do, and we do not yet have the technology to be able to connect systems with systems. And there's obviously cyber risk in that. So our supervisory teams say this is actually surprising that that cyber risk is one of the things that is actually harder to supervise from a remote perspective. Uh, so I think that's been a big challenge uh, in terms of supervision. Um, the third reflection is we've tried very hard to not derail our medium-term agenda uh, with COVID. Uh, and that, that has actually put a, a stress on, on, on our teams, but I think it's been a worthwhile effort. Um, as I said, we've been rolling out Basel III and, and what we have is we have all the norm, secondary norms up for consultation, which will give banks a year and a bit to, to add, and we've worked hard on that during the year. Second, um, this is in line with what Jamil, we've, we've worked uh, putting forward a legal, a legal proposal to the government on regulating FinTech. Uh, we think we have a fairly active uh, FinTech uh, environment in Chile. They have been providing uh, multiple services during the pandemic. In fact, some of these services have expanded, uh, but there are several aspects of this FinTech um, system that, that don't have adequate regulation. So we will be working hard that so that we can come out with secondary, for primary and secondary legislation on this soon. Um, 
And, and thirdly, uh, we have actually been trying to ease access to, to debt markets for large and, and medium-sized firms uh, in, in, in basically saying that well, we have what, what one of the more, one of the more uh, uh, scarce resources in coming year is, is actually bank capital. So, 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 so yeah, if, if you can generate debt uh, outside the banking sector, then I think that will certainly help recovery and also reduce systemic risk. And in that sense, we've been working on to see how we can streamline debt issuance, how we can lower requirements for smaller firms uh, in, a, in a structure similar to mini bonds so, so that uh, some of our institutional investors and foreign institutional investors can take some of the, some of the weight off the banking sector in easing this, this recovery. Um, I'd say for now, Babak, that, that, that would be the main, the main points. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's great. A lot of interesting uh, insights. The one that just jumped at me was that it's uh, it's kind of counterintuitive that uh, it's easier to supervise cyber risk if you're actually on site, right? It's very interesting. So just uh, how these things uh, are not all, uh, you know, one size fit all. Clive, coming back to you to kind of uh, wrap up this uh, round before we go into the audience Q&A, and I see a lot of uh, interesting questions out there. So you're a seasoned supervisor who has had experience dealing with a lot of different financial crises, and also you're a you're one of the key instructors at our uh, uh, crisis programs. And Toronto Center has done 120 crisis simulations around the world since 2008, and you've been involved in many of the recent ones. Uh, what are the implications of the new normal for supervision? And will supervisors need new skills and approaches to supervision? Okay, thanks, Babak. Uh, okay, well, here are five, briefly, uh, most important things for supervisors to be doing right now, in my humble opinion. Uh, first, uh, it's important that supervisory authorities conduct high-level, forward-looking, scenario-based exercises to consider what the new normal might look like, uh, how risks or operational constraints might intensify or emerge as the crisis evolves, and how these risks might affect supervised firms and financial markets. Second, um, I think supervisory authorities definitely need to enhance their crisis preparedness, including as part of that, their cooperation and collaboration with other authorities at home and abroad against the possibility that one or more major financial institutions uh, may run into serious problems. And I think that's also a lesson we take from, as you mentioned, Babak, the many programs that we run on crisis preparedness. Third, um, I think supervisors definitely need to focus more on fintech related risks, uh, including developing their capacity to understand and respond effectively to those risks, to assess the ability of incumbent financial institutions and new fintech based entrants to find and implement uh, viable strategies and business models, to assess the governance and risk management of supervised firms, in particular in some of these areas of strategic operational cybersecurity and outsourcing risks, uh, to focus more on the operational resilience of supervised firms, not only in preventing operational failures from occurring in the first place, but also in responding and recovering effectively and quickly if and when such failures do occur, uh, considering whether to be more or less accommodating in the licensing of new fintech-based entrants in order to uh, boost uh, competition and innovation, 
uh, and obviously monitoring the regulatory perimeter because increasingly activities are now being done by firms who are pretty much on the border of that perimeter. Fourth, um, I think there's considerable scope uh, as some of the uh, other panelists have already mentioned for supervisory authorities to improve and extend their own use of technology, uh, what is known as SUPTEC, uh, to become more data-led and intelligence-driven. And that becomes even more important, of course, in circumstances where on-site supervisory activities are restricted. And last, but by no means least, uh, supervisory authorities need to consider when and how to revive initiatives that may have been suspended or deprioritized during the height of a pandemic, uh, including climate change related risks, financial inclusion and gender equality. So let me finish there to provide at least some time for some questions and answers. Thank you very much. Thank you, Clive. That was very useful to be able to categorize it that way. So uh, our speakers, uh, we have a challenge here. We have a lot of interesting questions, about 15 minutes to go. So help me try to answer as many of them as possible. So give us your top line answer to the questions that I posed to you. Uh, the one takeaway that you want people to have, and we all know that your answers are not complete, but that's in fairness to everyone involved. So let me, let me start with you, Jamil, the central banking question. How are central banks dealing with the risks arising from global corporate bond market due to COVID-19-induced market stress and the linkages to the insurance sector, particularly to the bulk annuity business and equity release products? What is your view on the risks posed? Do you have any views on this? <clears throat> and you're on mute. Sorry. Thank, thank you. Uh, I think, uh, 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 let me say that, first of all, um, on the uh, uh, banking sector in Pakistan, the, the fundamental risk is the credit risk. There are many other risks also, but credit risk is the most significant, which has historically posed uh, uh, substantial losses to the, uh, to the system. Uh, so on that front, I think already we have seen some stress um, on the uh, portfolio and uh, uh, the, the non-performing loans are increasing. And that's partly due to uh, the businesses uh, uh, affected adversely uh, by COVID and also uh, the individuals uh, have reduced level of uh, uh, income uh, because of the reason that some of them have been laid off, the others have been, have been uh, given the reduced salaries. So uh, we have, from central bank perspective, we have tried to cope with these uh, risks by um, supporting the, the uh, uh, the individuals uh, whereby we have introduced a scheme and that was a very popular scheme. Uh, we call it Rosegar scheme, which is the uh, protection of unemployment uh, for, uh, the, uh, for the employees of the uh, large firms, uh, even small SMEs firms also. So this was a liquidity support provided by central banks to, uh, to banks and um, at, a very, uh, at a concessional rate and then on lending by banks. Uh, to uh, to the customers at concessional rate. The only condition was that the uh, firms and uh, SMEs, they will not uh, lay off the workers uh, when they avail this concessional scheme. So uh, I think that was quite popular and it has contributed a lot uh, in protecting the, uh, the, uh, the uh, employees of the, the firms. And this enabled uh, in a way uh, to avoid the uh, the uh, risks which 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 could have been there on the consumer lending side 
So number of uh, people would have defaulted their installments to banks uh, if that scheme would not have been there. Uh, similarly, uh, for banks also, uh, for the, the corporates also, we provided uh, uh, additional schemes uh, which supported the, the, uh, the corporates also. So, so the, this has resulted into um, some mitigation of the risk, but uh, still I will see uh, the credit risk has increased to some extent. So that's one. On the uh, operational side, we have seen number of uh, risks posed by, um, by COVID and uh, particularly cybersecurity risk due to uh, increased uh, uh, increased uh, digitization, uh, digital services availment, and also due to the uh, work from home. Uh, many banks have, um, have off started offering some uh, services from uh, home, homes of the employees. So uh, uh, in the process, they are facing uh, uh, some cyber uh, security related issues and we have seen increased frauds and uh, incidents uh, as a result of this so, um, so these are i think all the challenges which we as a supervisor will have to cope with and um, we are trying to uh, uh, to provide guidance to banks and banks are also taking steps at their own uh, to uh, to mitigate these risks Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. We have a couple of questions from the courageous anonymous attendee. Kevin, let me go to you on this one. Um, it's an interesting question, actually. We often think of financial stability and financial inclusion as two different silos. How do you see the role of financial inclusion and its relevance to financial stability in the new future, I guess, in the context of the new normal? And sorry, you're muted, Kevin. There we go. Okay, sorry about that. Um, so actually, that 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 is a that is a very interesting question. Uh, let me let uh, and I'm going to be pressed to give you sort of a short answer. So let me let me try. Um, so so let me see. There 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 are several several aspects and in, in which in which I think they actually there are uh, financial inclusion will uh, will help uh, financial stability. Uh, the first is is that one of the things we've seen here is that. Um, there are still a lot of coverage gaps in insurance uh, in, in Chile. Uh, so when we're talking about uh, households being hit by, by COVID, uh, you see that actually the, st the, the stability of income and welfare of that house would have been much better served if we had much lower insurance coverage gaps, both for health perspective, from income unemployment insurance. And, and you can aggregate that up to, to a macro perspective. And I think it becomes relevant because for some, for example, non-bank, um, consumer lenders, uh, unemployment insurance has, has actually been a, a source of mitigation so far. So I think that's one aspect. Uh, the second is, is in Chile, we've probably moved faster in terms of financial inclusion in debt than in other uh, sectors. Uh, payment would probably be the second, saving a very long third. Uh, and I know that we're facing, uh, particularly lower income households, a, a, a very key challenge between uh, saving and debt, uh, but it is the case that 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 uh, saving in the financial sector is low. A lot of saving takes place outside the financial sector, lower income households. So that means your access to uh, liquid assets in in a case of a shock like this is is very limited, and that also helps. And the third, um, obviously, uh, and this is something that I'm not is not new in me saying it, but but if we talk about financial inclusion from a holistic perspective, we're talking about financial education. And I think it's also very clear. And this is something that came out very clearly after 2008, 2009, 
is uh, ultimately and beyond prudent debt policies by financial intermediaries, um, it helps a lot if, if, if households and small firms understand the benefits and risk of, of debt in particular and can take uh, well-informed decisions. Uh, and I think that's the third area in which financial inclusion and, and, uh, and financial, st financial risk or, or, or stability are, are act in tandem. So off the top of those head, those three, three, three areas, Baba. Very good. Lots of stuff to think about. So I'm just going to move around here. There's one question to uh, Jamil. It's a compound question, so I'm just going to take the first part of it. Uh, in Pakistan, when approvals are digitalized, how do you check the authenticity of certain documents? I think this is a, a challenge, but you have to take some uh, risk when when we uh, ex extended this this service uh, of remote submission of documents uh, through digit, digit, digital channels. Uh, obviously, um, it's not a perfect substitute for uh, the paper submission, I will say. Uh, but at the same time, we have also introduced some uh, checks uh, whereby the system, the IT system, uh, the platform which we are um, using for this purpose will not accept the, the applications or requests from banks and uh, other customers uh, of the banks uh, until there are certain minimum um, checks are, uh, are uh, are okay, and the the, the uh, platform accept the the uh, the uh, the submissions. So that's one. Um, secondly, we have a very strong uh, on-site inspection process also. Uh, so uh, uh, right now, I think uh, we will not be able to uh, do that. But going forward, uh, we on post facto basis um, check these uh, documents, particularly those which are submitted by banks. Uh, so it's the responsibility of banks to ensure that uh, their own documents are, if they are submitting on behalf of the customers, so those documents are authentic and um, uh, there is no forgery in that. Normally, the uh, the customers of banks first they will be uh, they will they are required to submit their requests to the uh, banks platforms, and uh, once banks are satisfied, then they uh, onward submit to uh, the central bank platform. So uh, that way, there is a check. Uh, on the part of banks also that first of all they will have to ensure accuracy of documents and then when the documents comes to state bank then uh, we have digital checks also uh, and then uh, from uh, central bank also post facto um, basis we uh, on test check basis will uh, be uh, verifying the documents on site also so that, that so that way i think uh, the risk is reduced but it will not be completely eliminated Thank you so much. It's very interesting. We have several questions that touch on social goals, and I'm going to try to pose one of them to uh, Clive. Everyone thinks supervisors are a very serious suit and tie, but there are some that the world is changing rapidly around us. Clive, let me pose this question to you. How about climate-related risks? Uh, some have said climate is like the slow-moving pandemic. What, um, with so many issues that we supervisors need to deal with, would there be space for climate issues? If so, to what extent? Uh, well, absolutely, yes, Babak. Um, I think at a minimum, uh, for me, the basic here is that supervisory authorities should focus on the impact of climate-related uh, risks uh, on financial institutions. So the you know, impact of rising sea levels, uh, impact of adverse weather events on insurers, but also the impact on banks, uh, because after all, banks lend to people who may be located 
uh, in floodplains or next to the coast. Um, and they may also be affected in terms of credit risk and indeed operational risk, uh, because you may find that the head office of the financial institution itself is threatened by climate change. So climate change should absolutely be in there anyway for every supervisor across all sectors uh, because of the impact on the core risks that they are looking at. Uh, and that for me is basic number one. Basic number two is about disclosure and transparency. <clears throat> so we have, for example, the recommendations of the task force on climate-related financial disclosures set up by the Financial Stability Board, and those recommendations should be followed by financial institutions as well as by other companies and I think supervisors have a role there in encouraging and perhaps even mandating uh, the use of such disclosures. Beyond that it becomes trickier because I think beyond that you're into questions about the extent to which regulators and supervisors should be uh, looking to influence the extent of climate change itself uh, and that is a much more contentious area much less agreement on that around the world. But you know, debates are occurring. There are debates, for example, in the banking supervisors community about whether risk weighting should be changed so that you impose a higher risk weight if people lend to brown uh, borrowers, uh, brown in the sense of fossil fuel producers, carbon emitters and the like, uh, either on the basis that that is just riskier because those people may get wiped out um, as a result of new rules on carbon emissions and the like, carbon taxes and the like, um, or simply because that is part of regulators and supervisors arguably doing their bit uh, to promote uh, action to prevent further climate change in the wrong direction. So I think there are the basics, and to be fair, I think a lot of countries have not even done those basics yet. So that's definitely the place to start. But beyond that, there are all sorts of interesting potential initiatives whereby regulators and supervisors could, if they wanted to, uh, be more active and more proactive uh, in attempting to tackle climate change itself. But you know, having said that, at the end of the day, as people like the IMF have pointed out, you know, the thing which is really going to make a difference to climate change around the world is countries introducing a proper level of carbon taxes and countries uh, spending government money on things like insulating homes moving to electric powered uh, transport and the like. Those are the things which are going to really make a difference to climate change. You know, regulators and supervisors can, in that sense, uh, tinker at the edges. And, you know, that's why I say the key basics are to focus on risk management and disclosure. Thank you, Clive. Well done. And want to remind the audience, uh, Clive has also uh, uh, written a really good uh, Toronto Centre note on actually a couple on the uh, topic of climate change. Also, some of you may have heard that uh, it's very likely that IMF will be including climate risk in as part of FSAP examinations. And uh, the final thing is the insurance sector has dealt with climate risk uh, for eternity, even before climate was a sexy word, right? So this is not actually a brand new topic for supervisors. Um, I'm gonna give the very last question to, um, uh, to Kevin. And Kevin, I ask that you give us your, uh, basically a fairly brief answer to this because we are definitely running out of time. So uh, CNN style, you have 30 seconds to break it down. So what kind of systemic measures are the supervisory and other state authorities contemplating now to address increase of MPLs in the banking sector in the coming years? 
So in, in 30 seconds, um, two. Um, one area is, is, is in coordination with, with government authorities. Uh, current, the finance ministry is currently evaluating its state uh, guarantees uh, for firms, uh, including the possibility of, of renewals being guaranteed. So I think that is something which, which will serve as, in part, a mitigator of, of, of risk uh, and allow um, what, what, what should be viable but illiquid firms to move forward. And I think that's important uh, because past the lockdown, there is still a long way up for recovery. Uh, and the second is, is we are being, uh, as I said, we were mentioning, mentioned before we're rolling out Basel III, one of the things that we have uh, not delayed is, is, is pillar, pillar two. And in that sense, uh, we are currently uh, sort of undergoing a first round of, of stress tests that are not uh, supervisory, but are actually aimed at, at generating a discussion with banks as to their capital buffers for the coming year. Uh, and obviously the results of those stress tests will, will very much generate uh, a view on, on capital adequacy, uh, because ultimately it, it is through capital that, that some of the banks will absorb some of these MPLs. So I think those two directions, Babak. Thank you so much, Kevin. And uh, we promised our audience we start on time, we're going to end on time. And uh, thank you so much for our excellent speakers. You did very well. I wish we had more time. I think we could have easily taken up three hours of uh, everyone's time here. And a big apologies to the um, audience for the questions that we left on the table. Uh, your questions are not going to be lost. We are saving them. And one way or another, we will address those questions through our courses, programming, publications. And uh, these are all excellent food for thought. And thanks again. And Kevin, I'll see you on December 4th. And uh, everyone else, uh, thanks a lot. Namaste. And you kicked ass. Bye-bye.